Aloha, y'all. Welcome to the Esports Futurai Ezine Podcast, where we chat it up with your favorite celebrities, influencers, local heroes, and people of all walks of life as we reveal the unexpected connection they have to the gaming industry. I'm your host, Chantel Boucher. Miss Chantel Boucher here, Managing Director of Esports Futurai. I am so excited today because we just have some amazing uh, guests today. First, I'd like to introduce my, my I was going to say my lovely co-host, but I guess that would be for a trick. My handsome co-host, Mr. Dante Jackson. He's going to be joining me every couple weeks, and so I'm so excited to have you, brother. Thanks for uh, hopping on here. Always, yeah. Yeah, and I've also got our two guests, Mr. Simon Bennett and Mr. Markel Lee. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thank you. <laughs> now, these guys, they are they have a company called AOE Creative, and uh, we're going to dive deep into that in, in just a second here. But uh, I've had a, such an amazing opportunity to be able to kind of do a little hangout session with these fellas and learn more about themselves and their lives and what they do for the industry. Let's start. Let's let me pick on you first, Simon, if you don't mind. Let me. <laughs> I want to know. Can you tell us just briefly about your partnership that you have with us with Mappy Sports and Esports Future Eye and, and the role that you guys play? Also, a little bit about your company, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, as as you said, we AOE Creative. We're about two, just over two years old now. We've both been in the industry for. A real long time myself about 17 years worked through a number of companies on the way but you know blizzard is probably one of the ones everyone knows the most so activision blizzard also worked for razor face it wargaming.net a bunch of other places i may have heard yeah, of all of those before some of those had the pleasure of working with some awesome people and some awesome brands along the way and then yeah we started aoe we were a creative design marketing agency specializing in what we call gaming and nerd culture. So anything from esports all the way through to like comic books, Dungeons and Dragons, etc. board games, we do we do anything and everything that is nerdy. We tend to mostly focus on gaming. That's the area we have I'd say the most clients. And then yeah, we we met up with you guys at, at Map fairly recently. We've been talking a little bit over and off and on for, for a good a good while. But we've sort of come on to be an esports North Star or something like that. You know, like help help to sort of help to sort of like ground everything in the industry and make sure that all your amazing ideas work both for a non-endemic audience but also the endemic audience and, and make sure that we're maybe having some hard conversations about certain things to to speak about what has worked and what hasn't worked in the past and maybe help to change the direction of certain things to make it more effective, things like that. And also to come up with cool shit ideas to make, make people have a lot of fun. That's the, the big yeah, one. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Simon. And, and Markel, can you maybe speak to your part with your partnership too as well? You know, I, I think it, it's really cool how you guys have such a similarity yet are totally opposite from each other in so many things. And so can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role and how it's different from Simon's? Yeah, no problem. Definitely, I come more so from the grassroots side of things. So you'll see me, I've, I've worked with the fighting game community pretty heavily at the beginning of my career. And with that, it was honestly a great experience been able to work with some of the, well, the most diverse esports gaming community in the world and had the opportunity to work with them, building that up. I come more from the creative background while something comes back, uh, comes from the marketing side. I definitely work hand in hand. So again, when we began working with each other, it clicked very easily. And we was able to do a lot of great things, especially with the stuff that we've done with the Houston Outlaws and Opti Gaming. But the stuff that I did before, again, was like working with local groups and events, doing things more so in Dallas at first, to where I was able to help out the community, build the community within the fighting game area and help those guys out, like getting 
viewership and opportunities to be seen nationally, worldwide. For again, a lot of great talent here in Texas. So I definitely wanted to help out Dallas, Houston, Austin, and the rest of uh, San Antonio, and kind of help out this area grow and get bigger. So they had me work in opportunities with Absolute Battle, Texas Showdown, Kumite in Tennessee, as well as like CEO and Evos and, and other major events within the fighting game community to kind of help them out with production or graphics, advertisement, promotional, social. And then from there, the transition to working with other influencers, other major teams, other publishers and developers. It's where me and Simon met up um, and started working with the Houston Outlaws, Optic Gaming, and like 10 other businesses at once. And then we noticed that there was a void within the gaming esports community, where it's like, there's not really too many or if any agency within that space at the time doing stuff for the gaming esports community as a full agency and not outside of it, coming from it and being <laughs> endemic to understanding this community, this fan base, and how this is different than traditional agencies do the way that they market when they do something that's like traditional, right? Or yeah. how it's a lot different from the sports industry um, and the gaming industry. They're not one and the same. They they work differently and you have to be able totally. to speak in a different way. Yeah, it's its own animal. And I feel like, you know, with one of the things that I know that I'm trying to accomplish even with my show is creating that bridge between people who are already in the industry to the, the people who are just newly to it or trying to learn about it or trying to understand why somebody in their life is so into it and what does this look like and what does it mean because people have a preconceived idea of just the industry itself only based off of little snippets of things that they might see on a TV show or TV and get this, this preconceived idea that is simply just not even true. And so it's really, I'm really excited to have you guys and have the connection with you fellas, because even for me, I'm still trying to get educated myself with this too as well. I am definitely not an expert, but I am an <laughs> expert in, in humans. And I love, <laughs> I love people and I love people who are passionate about something. And, and what I really love about both of you too, as well as, you know, Simon too, you know, you have a very compelling story of how, you know, where you once were like back in the day, we're talking like depression, lots of it, like a lot of social anxieties, I'm sure, and, and issues that you had going on and how it kind of saved you. And can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Yeah, as you said, I, I, I didn't initially ever intend to get into gaming. I kind of kind of like like many younger people didn't really see it as an option. Right? Like I didn't know it was even a thing that you, I mean, admittedly when I got into gaming, it wasn't as much of an option as it is now. I'm, I'm old, but I initially trained as a teacher, a science teacher. So not, not exactly, you know, gaming adjacent or anything like that. I didn't do marketing or, or anything like that. Initially I dropped out of the teaching system in the UK where I come from because pay was shit like let's face yeah. it it still is still is as far as i'm aware for teachers it's yeah it is talked about last time like probably one of the most undervalued jobs maybe a little more valued now that parents have had to actually do it themselves <laughs> but uh, i think that you get very disillusioned with the world when you think what you're you have a career path that you had in mind you oh, yeah i've always wanted to teach kids. I like people. I like learning. I like helping people learn. I like seeing people achieve something. And mm. I like seeing people like do better for themselves and, and be great at things. And obviously naturally you think, oh, teaching, your mind doesn't go to leadership. It goes teaching or something that involves yeah. kids. Cause when you're younger, you don't really understand the scope of what options there are available to you in the world. So I kind of dropped out of that and felt pretty like disillusioned. I went back and lived with my dad and for about six to eight months, uh, you know, literally, as you said, like I was on antidepressants. My only connection really with the world was through a world of Warcraft guild that I ran. I had about 90, 90 to hundred people every day on a channel that we, we ran an East world of Warcraft guild. And I remember like we, we spoke about last time. I remember sort of lamenting about how I didn't know what to do with my life, how I was depressed. And a bunch of the people who led the guild with me were like, Hey, why don't you send your CV into Blizzard right now? Because they're hiring 
you know, maybe you'll get lucky. You know, maybe they'll look at your CV. And I was like, ah, I don't know, like hundreds and hundreds, like thousands of people will send their CVs in. Like, why are they going to care about me? Like, I don't have anything to do with computer games in my back. I mean, obviously, I played them a lot. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I, I used the last of my, of my, what was it, like unemployment money to fly myself to Ireland for an interview. I didn't know at the time, obviously, that when you, if they've asked you over to Ireland for the interview, you probably already got the job anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I then, mean, that, that sounds pretty promising. If yeah, I mean, if they're making you fly there. They, they, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so I, I landed in Ireland, went over to, to the office. You know, as, as a younger person, you're terrified of going to this massive office. There's thousands of people there. I walk in and there's these four people standing there. I've never seen before ever. And then they reeled off their in-game names and it was all my guild leaders from the guild in World of Warcraft because um, at Blizzard, you're not allowed to tell people that you work for Blizzard because there's potential conflict of interest. People can yeah. like bribe you to give them stuff. And, and at the time, you, you know. Did you get fired for that? Like you could get oh, yeah. fired from your job, yeah. right? Like you really if you, can. That's like you, very strict. Yeah, yeah, if you abused it, you got fired. I mean, if someone found out, they found out. I mean, that wasn't that big a deal, but you, this right. is a very strict, a very strict system. Yeah. They still do even to this day. But yeah, you know, like in the concept of, you know, and, and like I said, like when, when, when I left Blizzard, so I, I left over 10 years ago now. Yes. Uh, but when I left, I left from the office, I emailed all of the executives. So Mike and Chris Metzen and that, and basically just said like, you know, <laughs> You saved my life, kind of. You know, like I, I don't know what would have happened if I'd have stayed in the depression route. And mm-hmm. like, obviously, I didn't know at the time that I, like, all of my leadership skills came from running a World of Warcraft guild. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. really, almost all of it. Like, I, before that, I wasn't confident. I wasn't able to manage people. I didn't really understand the politics of managing people. I still hate it to this day, but. <laughs> When I don't know manage, anybody who does like it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> when you manage 90 to 100 people every day, the dramas that goes on between those people, and they don't have, you're not paying them money, so there's no expectation. They can leave whenever they want. You kind of realize that, well, you don't realize it, but you're actually learning a lot of skills, like special skills for that. And also it's that whole thing about like people see, we were saying before, if someone had looked at me from the outside, they would have seen like a sad young person Mm. on their computer at home which generates that thought process of like gamers are loners you know their their emo you know that sort of side of things but they don't realize that in my head like on my headphones there's 90 people talking you know like which makes me more sociable than almost anybody else in their work <laughs> and i think that that's something that's so beautiful about gaming is it it brings and and the, i'm european so well yeah. I'm not European anymore, but I was European <laughs> when England was still in Europe. But, you know, there was like, my, one of my guild leaders was Slovakian, one was Swedish, one was Finnish, like one was German. So you, you get un- to understand all of those cultures and you mm-hmm. get a really good like outlook on the world as, in general. Like we had a um, Slovenian guy who was, they, they were going through some, some, some national issues at the time and they were there was like bomb warnings and stuff and we'd literally be preparing for a raid or something like that and he'd be like uh, i gotta go for four hours where we've got those sirens going off and like just yeah. as an english person you live this sheltered life like nothing like that happened since the world wars you know that yeah. that's that's yeah. part ancient history yeah so get like a better understanding of like the troubles that other people go through helps you to like position your mindset in life in general anyway and be like well you know like if if they can be positive and keep going with that shitty situation like what the hell am i yeah, doing yeah what am i complaining about all of a yeah. sudden your problems are like yeah. So, yeah it's also just a huge misconception that gamers don't really help one another out when yeah. you see it all the time like even in the fighting game community like i've seen the community take care of other people within the community like someone had to go to the hospital. They did a GoFundMe to raise money to help that person out. Or, yeah. you know, somebody's stuff went up missing or, or broke and they know like, hey, we're all scrapping to do stuff together. Yeah. Like we're going to help you get the equipment because what you've done for the community is great. We respect it. We're going to help you out because we want to see you do good because you want to see us do good. And we're all here together. Like there's yeah. 
so many opportunities or like or in instances where people have helped one another within these gaming groups and gaming communities that people don't really think about and they just think about oh yeah just wasting your time playing those video games and it's like yeah. no there's there's opportunity here and that's not even talking about the other chances you have about creating a business and career within the space yeah absolutely and speaking about creating a business within the space can i just say your story is very romantic simon and Michael, <laughs> love story <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> just the podcast. They got, they got Justin Bieber hearts up, is what they're doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> because it is adorable, and it's like, oh my god, it's so sweet. The, the, obviously, I'm a chick, so I'm like, oh, that's so cute. When guys, are like, that's cool, man. <laughs> so, Markel, we're, we're, we're good enough friends, and we do, we just laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, if it ain't hurt Mar- nobody's feelings. Markel's fiance always jokes that I'm like his always. second wife. Yeah, yeah, you guys actually say that. So see, it's not me. That's the thing. <laughs> Work husbands. Work husbands. <laughs> Gosh. Anyway, Arkel, tell us about, tell us that little story. I mean, you don't have to well, go too detailed, but like, tell us enough. You're faking this out. I feel, I feel like, I feel like you do need to go into detail now. Just okay, to go into detail. I know, just, I know, exactly. Hey, no, it's, it's again, I started working with Infinite at a point in time when they were trying to build up and pick up teams in order to jump into the new leagues that were coming out. Um, At the same time, Simon was in the UK and he was also talking to the CEO of Infinite at the time, kind of helping him set up uh, ways to run the business and again, like find someone to do marketing. And at that time, I started working um, there to kind of like, you know, build the pitch decks and stuff. Simon was basically talking with him and couldn't, really find someone for the position. The guy was like, why don't you just take it? And he was like, well, <laughs> sure, I'll do it then, right? Um, trip to America? Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he flew Simon in and basically I was like, yeah, cool. I'm going to be working with him. I'm, I'm picking him up for the airport. We'll talk and chill. And so got Simon and, and from there, like, again, we worked together in the same office, <laughs> literally got him a, a place in Dallas. I was like, hey, you know, the apartments I have are pretty nice. It's close to the job. You might as well come over here. You ain't got a car anyway. You might as well ride with. It's like, cool. We go. And they're like, yeah, we only have one apartment next uh, available. And it's right next door to me. So it was like, well, all right, whatever. Uh, That's what he says. I mean, are we sure? <laughs> yeah, I, I just knew it. The, the funny thing is when we were starting AOE and we were talking to the accountant who was setting up our yeah. bank account, yeah. he was like, he's like, what's your address? And I was like, one two three oh one and he's like well what what's your address and i'm like one two three oh three he's like that's really weird it is what it is like hey you're, you're okay, family. joint bank accounts and everything i mean it's a very lovely story look we got great family like i was able to have simon come through my cousin's mom adopted me and that was yeah the, my mom pretty when, much when they when they walked in when we were helping her move Markel's got a, a younger brother as well, and so it's yeah. me, Markel, his younger brother, helping helping them move into their new place. This is like like a, a black family moving into a very white suburban neighborhood. We go into this place. Markel's mom introduced me as their adopted son. <laughs> the look on their faces was so funny because I'm like, yeah, like well, you guys uh, pretty much look like twins. Yeah, of course. Clearly. But I was saying, like, like honestly, Dante's like your love child. If you guys used, yeah. We were saying that the the sad thing is, is if the roles had been reversed, they probably would have just accepting it. Like, if it was two, if it was some white kids right. with a, one black kid, it would have yeah. been like, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it's the one white kid with the black family who are rich. It's like, mm. <laughs> I love that, you guys. That's so cool. Now. I know Dante had a few questions for you guys too as well, so I'll I'll stop courting my questions. Yeah, yeah. you guys were talking about how the, the esports and competitive gaming is an industry. So I want to know what is your advice to like young young gamers interested in in joining that industry? Uh, for me, I mean, I normally have this question a lot of times, and it's it's getting better now mainly because teams need, you know, they're, they're starting to understand how to make a business and organization live longer than just the moment. And they're starting to think about, you know, long-term, what can we do? What do we need? 
when like Simon and I started, it was basically about the grind, the grind and the hustle. Like how much do you really want to work to get into this industry? Uh, because there was no infrastructure fully, right? There was a whole bunch of people just doing stuff to see what worked. Now it's to the point where it's a whole bunch of people throwing money to see how far it works, right? <laughs> and so the idea for me is, is networking is crucial. It's, it's one of your biggest, biggest tools that you need to use at all times. LinkedIn, social media, going to events, talking to the right people, try to figure out exactly what is it you're trying to do, find out who's doing it in the favorite companies that you appreciate, and then start trying your best to get into a conversation with someone, at least in a sense to, you know, maybe intern or get an opportunity to work in an event and, and try to soak up as much information and knowledge as possible. For me, I, I just dove into it, right? I, I really wanted to get in the gaming community and in the competitive scene mainly. I wanted to do it within uh, the FPS realm, so the shooters, so Call of Duty and Halo. And I really didn't know how to get into that, but I did have a friend that was very close into the fighting game community, and that's how I got my step in. Even though I, I, I suck at fighters, like I'm complete trash, but I love what the community does. And I love watching and I love being a part of it. And I had the opportunity of saying like, you know, I am a designer. I love design. I'm not a competitive gamer, but I can take my skills and help other competitive gamers and organizations out. So I found my niche within that space to say, hey, all right, I want to come in. I know you're a local team, a local group that already have money, but I'm going to show you how to market properly. And yeah. because of that, they got me to the opportunity of working with Pandex Gaming, who was doing production. And then we made events look a lot more expensive than they actually were, right? Yeah. And, and then that transition to being able to work with the larger groups, which got me, again, networking with bigger people, with, with deeper pockets, with more opportunities. And then they got me working with teams and influencers to the point of where I am now, uh, where I have a, a larger network and I can talk to some of those people, developers and publishers, or at least get a way of contact to them from the people that I've I, uh, associated myself with throughout my career. Yeah, that's awesome. That was a great question, you. Dante. And, and, you know, which kind of leads me to my next question as well. Is, you know, I want people to understand what the difference between esports, competitive gaming, and, and being a gaming influencer. Like, so people who are wanting to get in the industry, it's not just like this one thing you're getting into and then, oh, I'm, I'm in esports. You might not even be in esports or you might not be a, a gamer who's going to be competitive, but you're a great streamer and you have great commentaries and you're fun and, and all those things. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that we've found, especially when you start talking to, to brands and people who maybe are a little detached from the industry, is is that understanding of what esports actually is esports the term is like a blessing and a curse for the industry it's, it's a blessing because it helps a lot of brands understand what it is it's like electronic sports right like so i get it it's like sports but ironically it's not like sports at all it's way more like the pop industry than it is the sports industry but it helps us yeah. because the investors uh, investing in the sports part of esports, right? They, they know future is technology and sports is a thing I understand. Therefore, if I put those two things together, I can invest money because I can grasp the concept. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said before, so I, I worked at wargaming.net. We worked for a game called, we, we did esports for a game called World of Tanks. And, and literally when I started my job there, it was just me. And they told me like, your job description is do esports. That was it. They, don't know, they didn't know what it was I was doing. They didn't know anything about it. They just know that I talked about it a lot when mm -hmm. I was at Blizzard. And they were a bunch of managers from Blizzard. And they were like, okay, this guy knows about esports. We're just going to get him to do it. And they're like, so they just put you in and they're like, just, just do it. Please. <laughs> just do the thing. And in doing that, like, well, the tanks is not an esport. It, it's a really, really fun competitive game. And yeah, I think that was different. like, can you elaborate on that? Not to cut you yeah, off, so, like, uh, can you give us an example of like their yeah, so, um, like a sport game? Yeah, so esports, e we always say like esports isn't something you don't make an esports game, the community awards esports title to the game. So it's, it's like a success state for a competitive game. It's esports is when you hit the pinnacle of that, that game's success state. So a good example, I actually had this massive argument with someone at Twitch once about Hearthstone. 
like is Hearthstone an esport? And he was like, oh no, no, Hearthstone's not an esport because he was a really like hardcore esports fan. And I'm like, well, is it fun to play? Yes. Is it a good game? Yes. Does, does it have a big community? Yes. Do people like watching it? Yes. Is it an esport? Yes. Like, do you, do you like that it's called an esport? No. That sure, no problem. But I think that's one of the things you have to be aware of is some games um, and a good a good example would be Fortnite. Fortnite's borderline, right? Like mm-hmm. um, it is fun to watch, but not competitively. It's fun to watch content creators play it, which is why they their marketing strategy is more on the concept of doing pro am events because we can bring. If you don't do pro am, all the content creators will not qualify because mm-hmm. they're not good enough. Like they're going to lose to a bunch of sixteen year old kids who are going to stomp them every time. And, and people don't want to watch that. They, they don't want to watch people they don't know because uh, Battle Royale games are very hard to watch. They're very hard to broadcast because there's 60 people. It's really hard to follow 60 people at once. It's really hard to actually do good production around that. It's really, good to, it's really hard to tell storylines when there's 60 people in it, some of which you've never heard of before. So, but if you do a pro-am, they've all got this background. They can all stream on their own channels. So for, Fortnite is... It hits most of the points that an esport would, but it's not it's not really a good competitive title. Like it doesn't have like a strong, stable competitive rule set. And Epic Games are the first people to admit that it's not an esport. Like they don't give a crap that it's like they don't care. They just want people to play. They just yeah, they just want people to play their game and it's fun. Like yeah. they don't they don't mind that it's not an esport. It's no big deal. Yeah. It's why they introduced, as we spoke about last time, a game breaking sword before a three million dollar tournament qualifier you know yeah. and i think that because they just said like we don't we don't care like we yeah. like our esports audience is one percent of our like hundred million users we have like why yeah. would we balance for that yeah um we make 30 mil plus in a month right. so we're not worried yeah. about the esports side of thing and that's, yeah they just they just want to make an entertaining experience and then that also brings me on to your other point which is like what's the difference between an esports professional and a content creator Sometimes an esports professional can be a content creator, but it's it's less likely because you need to put in the time to be an esports professional. And, and again, we had a, a client who shall not be named at one point that we were talking to. Text who, it to me real quick. Just tell me who. Yeah, it was. sure. <laughs> who they were like? Well, we want to do we want to do an esports event where we have a bunch of really really good esports athletes or professionals coming in. And they were like, we we're like, cool. And they were like, yeah, we really want Ninja. And we're like, yeah. well, I hate to tell you, but he's not esports, right? Like, he's <laughs> he's a content. He he used to be esports. He used to be a competitive player, but he is not that anymore. He's he's an entertainer. That's a very different thing. He's an entertainer who plays competitive video games. But if you put him in any, well, and as the Fortnite World Cup showed, you put him in any actual competitive tournament, he's not going to qualify because he just. He doesn't put that kind of time into the game. His yep. his time in the game is about entertaining the viewer, which is very different to you know, like it, it's like a, a a person who does soccer tricks is yeah. it's not going to be Messi on the pitch, but might mm-hmm. do cooler tricks. And it's mm-hmm. like, but Messi's still the professional player, like the person who practices mm-hmm. every day of his life and who works really hard for it. That but neither of them is wrong. And as as we said before, like. Often when we're advising brands, we'll ask them, like, what do you actually want to get out of this? Like, if if you want to sell product, if you want to just shift product, go with an esports content or go with a content creator, not an esports content creator, ideally. Just any content creator that has a good, engaged audience. If you want to build brand visibility and you want to build brand, like, loyalty, Mm. go with an esports team because those teams have been here 15 years, they've been slogging away, they've got a really diehard community. If you just want to sell product, go with an influencer, because those guys can shift product like nobody else, you know? And I think that getting that understanding is super important. And and also, Dante, to your question, understanding like what options you have in the industry uh, around young people is super important too. Like you can be an esports, you can be an accountant in esports. That's totally fine. Like if you mm. if you have an accounting degree, don't think you can't do esports because you can be a chef in yeah. esports. <laughs> they they need you more actually yeah. than than other people. Um, yeah, so I think that that's another thing is like understanding 
that esports as an industry is like sports as an industry. But the effect that the only difference is how fame works. Like fame works way more like like pop culture than it does sports. Yeah, totally. That was a long-winded answer, sorry. No, but well, there's actually a lot of answers for a lot of things, but yeah. Don't go ahead, Dante. I know he has a yeah, Markel, we were talking about, so you, you mentioned you're really well-versed in fighting games. So is fighting games, are there any eSport fighting games? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at it, you think a Street Fighter has been on ESPN. I think Smash Bros. has been on Disney. You still have Mortal Kombat, Tekken, uh, you Dragon Ball, Fighter Z. I mean, you have a lot. Guilty Gear. It kind of depends. Like, there's so many different genres and so many different types of fighting games. They they all work together, but also are very different than one another. So you can't really lump them in together uh, a lot of times because, again, those communities work in different ways. They feel different things. They believe in different ways that they want to approach certain situations. But which genre of of esports do you think the black community or even minorities in general like tend to like focus on? Oh yeah, we definitely have this conversation a lot. It's, it easily goes to the fighting game community and the sports games. Why why do you think that is? And the reason why we we believe that is mainly because of the fact of consoles versus PCs, which mm-hmm. also is a big conversation right now too because it's also like the PC community and esports events have more money than the console events. And that is well, something and, that needs to change in a lot and, of different And ways. one thing that Markel pointed out before, and I think is really poignant, is in especially in lower income communities, which in, in the yeah. US does tend to be like black or mixed community, mm-hmm. they will buy like one console for two kids. You know, like right. the two kids play, the, and, and sports games and fighting games are those games that you can, that two people can play. Yeah, and that's what I was going to get to. I mean, even in my household, like even with my, my parents, right? They'll give me, they got me what, the, the 64 or the Sega or, or the Xbox or the PlayStation, right? And they get two controllers and then they get games that we could play multiplayer against, right? Right. Uh, when in that case, when you think about it, the ones that are easy to do so are sports games fighting games, and sometimes shooters at the time when it had split screen. And that's because it was, one, it was the cheaper option at the time, and it made a lot more sense for it to be an entertainment system for the whole family, right? Mm -hmm. Because even when you're not using the Xbox or PlayStation, you had the opportunity of using it to watch DVDs and stuff with the family. And that's because, again, lower income communities, it's really focused on the family and, of course, the funds, and also the not understanding. When you have to get a PC, a PC is usually single-player experience, unless you get multiple different PCs in order to work with one another, in order to, again, even have the strong enough internet to make things work and run for everybody in the house to, to be comfortable. And so we have that conversation, and that's why you see the fighting game community be so diverse. You see the sports community be so diverse, and it's mainly because of that situation. But there is... Again, another way, like, there should be some ways to put some money into that space, but the PC community definitely has that uh, locked up when it comes to esports, gaming, and, like, the professional sense of things. Mm. You see a lot less development of industries like the fighting games industry when it comes to, like, incoming money as well, because a lot of brands are really... are really afraid of mm-hmm. activating a diverse community. Right. Brands who get into like League of Legends know, okay, it's predominantly white and Asian males. Yeah. Like we get that, that's easy. Like it, it's an easy sign the check. Whereas if you say, okay, well, it's it's Capcom Pro Tour. Okay, so viewer viewer base wise, it's fifty percent Black Americans. There's like twenty percent Mexican. This is just guessing numbers. I don't actually know the numbers for this, but it, it's a, it's a large percentage of of minority groups. Brands just are scared of that. Like they're they're like, well, what what if we upset them? What if we say the wrong things? And and one of the things that that we as an agency try and do is is help bridge that and and say like, okay, well, we understand this community. We're a part of it. But we understand what you're also as a brand looking for. Like we know what your KPIs are. We're not unprofessional about that. And we mm-hmm. can translate what you need into what they want without um, 
ruffling feathers. And because a lot of it, most of those fears are completely unfair. Like it's, yeah. it's fear based out of un non-understanding because right. it, it, they react to things no differently to the other communities in many cases. Exactly. Like there's some stuff you just don't say, but like you'd have to be really dumb to say those things. And ironically, they, people do still say those things. But I think that like it's, it's this fear factor that, that big brands are still like, they, 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 they can, they'll sign a check for the LCS any day for like three million dollars no problem I, I want like on stage i get it it's on stage branding i get to be on the jersey i'm in the lower third on the screen like realistically really bad value for money that same three million dollars you could own the fighting games industry you could sponsor main stage production on every major fighting game in all of the us for the entire year mm -hmm. the, the wow. opportunity is way higher but the fear is so high that it just blocks people like they yeah, just and i was going to say to kind of jump on that too i mean it's it's the perception right also again the the pc community as being more fluent right being able to spend more money because they already spent the money on the pc rig so they probably have a larger well in in to be honest they probably do have a larger household income and so they're like oh well that seems safer then trying to test it in, you know, a community that's so diverse and also very strong within the, the lower income communities, maybe we don't really want to touch that. But there's also a type of brand loyalty that you can get from different groups if you understand how to market to them properly. And that's something that, again, Simon and I are very big on, on trying to do within this industry. Like the whole point of AOE Creative is to help build the game and esports nerd culture out correctly and have non-endemics come within the space properly because yeah. we have seen multiple times where large companies come in throw some money expecting it to just work because you know we just throw money anyway and that's how it works in sports or, or elsewhere and then the community completely trashed them and, <laughs> and in that career really quickly before it even started and we don't want that to happen because that hurts the industry. That hurts non-endemics coming within the space because they see other non-endemics fail horribly. And it doesn't help build these other gamers or influencers or esports teams and organizations to the point where they can make more money to have more of an infrastructure in order to have something more solid in the future. Yeah, and when you're talking about making more money too, it's like, I think, can you, how... What are these players making? What are these influencers making? Like, I mean, I know we kind of talked about some numbers before, but like, if you want to just kind of throw it out there, because I think a lot of people don't really know how much these guys are making. Yeah, um, I mean, talk about the tiers and the prize pools and all that. Like, a ninja, but like, what about even the average esports? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it. it well, the first thing is it varies wildly um, yeah. across yeah. the industry. Uh, the the high end for esports, like there's certain League of Legends players that are earning three to five million dollars a year on contracts. Most of them are playing in China. Those are where the really big money. But there is a couple of million dollar contracts in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Call of Duty and CS:GO players, on average, are earning twenty five to thirty five thousand a month. So then, and Call of Duty is a is a console title, so it's definitely. A, how old are these people? What are the age ranges for this kind of thing? For, for League, a lot younger, generally speaking. They're in their early, early 20s normally for the, the real top pros. The, the, big, the longer standing games like COD and CSGO, they tend to get a bit older. So they start in their early 20s, but they can, the career lasts longer. So it, it normally lasts till their late 20s which is, is pretty on par with sports in a way. So, yeah. but like content creators, that's a whole different, whole different world. Like content creators make wildly larger amounts of money and can start as young as like 15 and they can be making easily millions of dollars a year at 15. Like some people year. even million dollars a month. Yeah. Um, depending on the content. So I think I think that was the there. last numbers we knew were confirmed on Ninja and that wasn't this year, that was before. I think he was making over a million a month. He's definitely one of the highest earning content creators, but 
even like good content creators will earn a pretty healthy amount of money. There's a big push right now for agencies to pick up content creators all the way down to, I would say, well, I'm on Twitch. It would be like a thousand, 500 to a thousand concurrent viewers on mm-hmm. Twitch, which is the, the, the measurable on Twitch is concurrent viewers. Mostly even those guys will have agents now, which mm-hmm. Again, this is why I say it's like the pop industry. In a lot of cases, yeah. they're incredibly exploited. They uh, do mm. not understand their worth. The agency is taking like 80% of what they're really owed, but they just, mm. they sign ridiculous contracts. I mean, there's been... Because they don't know any better. They yeah, just, and it, yeah. there's been some very high profile cases of contracts like that with big, big esports teams and agencies okay. where they've understood they've realized how much of the money that they're losing to the agency. There's an, a really good uh, person. If you ever get to get someone on a guy called Devin Nash is a, a great guy. He has a great YouTube channel as well that you can, he, he goes through the industry really, really well. He did a whole thing on like the, the agency world and like how yeah. to, what, what's a good agency model yeah. versus a bad agency model. And, and it's super useful for these young people because they have no idea. You know, they, yesterday they were nobody, mm-hmm. and today they're like every, a hero. every kid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And well, that's the like, biggest thing right now is like everybody stops saying that they want to be like you know an astronaut, and now they're saying they want to be a YouTube streamer, star, yeah. Twitch streamer. It's like, I think it's like two in three young men mm-hmm. want to be a con- like a gaming content creator now. Yeah. That makes as sense. a thing, and and it's the same as as the movie industry, right? Like. 0.1% become megastars. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of people who yeah. are streaming. I mean, Twitch is, is, is the best and worst example. Like there'll be people on Twitch that have been streaming to like 10 viewers for five years. Wow. I mean, they hell, they got, they got the hunger for it and it's great that they're doing it. But like the expectation of like, oh, I've been doing it for a year now. I should be getting at like 500 to a thousand users. It's like, yeah, you're basing you're basing your expectations on like 1% of the people mm-hmm. who make it. Um, and and a lot of those people who made it have been doing it way before it was called Twitch, right? Yeah. Uh, it was like just a TV or something. And right. they had the uh, chance of building up when Twitch started, that fan base and their viewership. It, it's, it's possible to become like a star overnight, but it's so, so rare. And a lot of people don't understand that and don't really get that idea like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I can do it because they're doing it. It's like, it's, it's yeah, not. He just plays video games. It's like. Mm. It's just like sports, you know, you see all. Yeah, exactly. And their whole lives trying to become an athlete and then they realize, wow, it's almost near impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys just to change topics completely. Like, what do you guys see VR headed? Like, where, where do you see that playing into the esports realm? Esports, I don't see that for a question. while. Yeah, VR for like entertainment though is is really really getting up there. Like I think nowadays there's a there's a couple of interesting e- e- esports. There's a couple of interesting concepts. I'm I'm more interested in mobile as esports than VR as esports. I think VR mm. stands the same problem that that a lot of things with VR do is it's, it's, it's fun to play it, but it's hard to watch it. Like a lot of the time you, the person in the VR, like if, if you watch someone playing in inside Beat Saber, it looks cool. Right. But if you watch them outside, they look like they're flailing around <laughs> crazily, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's some, that's just me on a Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. fiance could be a yeah, pro she, Beat Saber. She destroys player, Beat Saber. Oh, really? Um, yeah. You said mobile gaming. You said you think mobile gaming has more potential. Yeah. Um, mobile it's, gaming. Well, it's also, to, to kind of jump on that real quick, the mobile gaming industry, everybody has a phone, right? VR yeah. is a problem because everybody doesn't have the equipment to yeah. run the VR. Like, yeah. the best VR headsets, you need to use a PC, right? And then that means yeah. you already need to drop one to 3000 on a PC, <laughs> and then on top of that, spend another 600 for the headset. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, buy the game or whatever you're trying to have. So it makes it very hard and limited for most people to have and access and be able to use. Whereas mobile gaming, like anybody download it, any, anytime, any place, you can play it as long as you have some type of connection to the internet. It's widely available. And that's the reason why mobile games 
actually do very extremely well, um, especially right now. Yeah, do you guys I mean, play mobile games? Uh, I play a little bit of the PUBG Mobile for, for reasons. And that's about it, actually. I play Runeterra, so I'm not really playing any, like, shooter as much. <laughs> I have tried a few shooters on my phone, but I try to avoid having games on my phone. That way your little, little cousins don't come and ask you for games on your phone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting, though, is some of my cousins play, like, Fortnite with the controller connected to the yep. phone. Yep. Pretty crazy. Because I feel like the controls of pressing on the screen, is it's near impossible to really be accurate with that. Yeah, and it's actually arguable, like, Call of Duty Mobile and PUBG Mobile are arguably more successful from user base than the Man. PUBG PC game and the Call of Duty PC game. Really? Um, that is yeah, crazy. Because people can play them in so many other places. You know, like, mm -hmm. people who are working and then get taking a lunch break, they can play a game of COD on their mobile. Like, mm -hmm. you can't do that anywhere else. And the, and the game's really good like it, it's not like a, a shitty mobile port of the game it's a different game designed yeah. for mobile and it's it's fun and it's they they i think mobile games they allow themselves to take them a little less seriously so and the, the the fan base is a little more forgiving of things that are like slightly off brand so they can do more funny things and fun things and keep it entertaining more and so because again mobile gaming at the moment they're not really aiming at esports as such there's some, there is a couple of mobile games that are aiming at esports and making the transition, but most of them are just building this massive player base because the way esports works is your viewer base is based on your player base. Like your player base is the first, you know, there's the top of the funnel and your viewer base is the next stage of the funnel. So if you don't have a really big player base, you're not going to have a really big viewer base. So from that perspective, mobile is building, the top of its funnel is massive. The, the only real difference is that the hardcore esports fans are still struggling to accept mobile as like a true, like true esports, but that's changing really rapidly. Now, during these interesting times in yes. the world, there's a lot of changes that are changing rapidly that I think that's that some things that you think were going to take a little bit longer to get to is happening quicker. And then the things that you thought were going to happen quicker are now being delayed. Yeah, I mean, gaming. Gaming went from being the bane of parents' lives to the savior of parents' yes. lives yes. overnight. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, how, and you made a good point about the whole teachers thing, too, as well. Let me just tell you how much I <laughs> teachers more now with these days. Thank you very much. Yeah. But hey, in, in closing, guys, can you just kind of tell us, like, the message that AOE Creative kind of stands for that you can kind of leave with us or any kind of advice or words of wisdom, if you will, just about what you guys stand for and, and any kind of message you want to give out there to to eat the the older people like myself the moms out there or the people who are just getting into gaming whatever you want i mean that's that's a very broad topic because there's a lot of things that can be said definitely about the the gaming esports community but here at aoe 100 percent, our whole goal um, is to help, like I brought up before, bring non-endemics into the space properly, as well as help these endemic brands learn how to grow a brand within this space to be for, you know, the long haul and not just for the now. The thing that, again, started us into becoming AOE Creative was we noticed a lot of different teams, a lot of different businesses within this space. I created a cool logo, created a cool look, and it was like, that's it. I'm just posting it out there. And now they're in the, the process of going, what does my brand mean? Why do we choose that as a, a symbol? Why is it our logo? Why is it our name? Like, what is, what is our message? And, and how do we get people to actually follow us for something a lot more deep and rooted into our business instead of just the players or I, they had a cool logo? And so that's where we come in to kind of help build that story, build that narrative. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we, we want to do cool shit. So, that's um, right. <laughs> and, we and where can they find you guys? People. Where can they find you guys? What's your handles and all that? So, of course, aoecreative.com. You can catch our, our company there. You can see me on Twitter at Markel underscore Lee. And Simon? LinkedIn, Simon Bennett. That's the only. Yeah, Markel Lee and LinkedIn. That, that's my well. social media like. specialty. Yeah. Be, before we let you guys go, for selfish reasons, I just have to ask. Um, <laughs> You guys are video game experts. I'm torn. I'm curious to see what you guys think. Xbox or PlayStation? What are you going with? The new one. 
<laughs> Simon, Simon is needed. Yeah, He's yeah, going to yeah, say PC. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I, I am. I played a lot of Xbox and PlayStation. I was the guy who had both. Yeah. But I was more leaning towards Xbox because my friends. But because of the new new era coming up now, I have to say PlayStation. And the only reason, the only reason why, the only reason why is because I have a PC, and every exclusive that goes to Xbox is going to PC. And PlayStation has its exclusives sold up because PlayStation has really strong exclusives right. that I miss out on sometimes. So that Switch. is the only reason. I see. Not <laughs> specs, not anything else is exclusive. Switch. Got it, got it. I'm one of those people, like, I, I, I originally started as a console player for sure. Like, I mean, back, back in my day, that was really the only option. Gaming PCs didn't really exist. But realistically speaking, I find the console industry pretty grotesque in some ways and i feel like the pc industry is a little more open source you know you can build a pc of multiple parts there's multiple companies that make multiple things you can make decisions nobody is controlling not such a monopoly on it yeah yeah I, i struggle with the console market in that sense and honestly speaking i just i don't play console games except for fighting games and all the ones i like playing are all on pc so (laughs) <laughs> don't listen to him. Okay. <laughs> now what you're trying to say is no, a PC. <laughs> that's what he's trying to say. All right. Well, thanks so much, you guys. I I appreciate you guys taking the time. Dante, always lovely having you. And uh, I mean, not like we're going anywhere. We're friends anyway. And uh, we're gonna be filming more shows. And you guys are stuck with me too. So congratulations. I will be bothering you even more than I ever have before. So. Thank you to that in advance. And thank you to all of uh, our viewers or our listeners. We appreciate all of you. And until next time, aloha. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Esports Futurai Ezine Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futurai Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. I know I, I know I did.